The DWA podcast is recorded live to SD card at the old Wrigley building in Santa Cruz, California. Driving while awesome podcast radio hour. <laughs> Yo, do you guys know what a fluffer is? GTO Mellow Grinds. Oh, I got a PT Cruiser. It's a convertible. It's really cool. All the smells of crayons for you. <laughs> hey, YOLO, you only have one life. Do you have coilovers? No, beat it. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I threw it up. <laughs> com forward slash DWA. Uh, Heel and Toe Apparel has been our longest supporter of the DWA podcast, and we're super stoked to have them on board. They make all of our shirts for the rallies, and uh, you couldn't ask for cozier shirts for snuggling up with a bunch of people on a rally. Uh, what do you think, Art? Yeah, I agree. And I, I really appreciate that he's a hardcore car guy. He really has a ton of variety of cool. We've talked about it. It's like nerdy, but cool designs, right? They're not so geeky that you don't want to throw them on. And it's just like some stupid quote or something. It's like, it's actually like cool, simple graphics. Like there's the traction control off button. There's the, uh, no limits. No limits is my favorite. I love that design. It's such a great design for the Nurburgring. Uh, and I really like his five speed, uh, shift gate pattern. You know, yep. he, he ha- for a while was really pushing the, the six speed, but then also launched the five speed, which is really cool because that is kind of more in our wheelhouse. You know, we drive some of these old school cars that, that only had five gears. Some of us for four. sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And, uh, he's definitely, uh, a big supporter of us, which is an easy way for you to help us as a listener, uh, support the people that support us. Right. So, uh, definitely encourage folks to go and check out heel and apparel.com forward slash DWA for a discount. And I just saw he's offering first class free first class shipping for orders over 50 bucks too, which is pretty sweet. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He's they're They're so good. And, um, all their shirts are like the highest quality. He doesn't skimp on every, anything. They're all water-based prints, which makes the graphics super smooth and, you know, not all rough and plasticky and, uh, just really good products with really clean, nice designs. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm just super stoked on them as is the, I think our whole community, and people like Henry Catchpole who wear them, you know, is wearing a heel and toe shirt in the newest Carfection video where he drives the M3 CSL manual conversion. That's awesome. And he rocks that in the, in the other, what is that one? Uh, the GT3? Yeah, I think video? it's the GT3 touring or the GT3 manual. It's just a, it's basically talking about how good a manual transmission is and how important it is, right? Exactly. And, and this is, part of that whole thing right it's it's yeah. the, the community the culture behind all of this old school radness um i also wanted to mention his variety of hats i mean if you're a dad hat guy he's got you covered if you want trucker hats if you want everything he, he's got the Flat cool beanie bill. he has a standard kind of more yeah more standard hat he has cool beanie dawn patrol beanie super Dude, cool look, talk about cozy that thing looks pretty warm yeah yeah for sure um yeah so go check him out heel and toe apparel.com forward slash DWA and use the code DWA at checkout to get 20% off your order. Uh, welcome to driving. Well, awesome. My name is Warren. I'm Lane. I'm Art. I'm Brian. And I'm Lee. We have special guest Lee Keen today, uh, racer, Porsche builder, motorsports fanatic, all sorts of stuff. 
<laughs> yeah. and, and I say, I say motorsports fanatic because I don't want to pigeonhole you in the 9-11 world because everyone thinks you're uh, maybe a Safari 9-11 guy, but you like it all. I know that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, very much a car en- enthusiast and motorsport fanatic. But yeah, I do get pinned now for anything off-road. Um, so I get a lot of links to like Baja Beetles and, um, <laughs> Volkswagen, Volkswagen Jettas with like BFG tires on them and stuff like that. Nice. And that, I mean, that's fine. You know, that's fine. It's all cool. As long as people are having fun. I'm sure Brian's going to send takes. you a Myers Manx, uh, links pretty soon here too. Uh, Lee is seeing all of it. I don't need to send him links. <laughs> some of the stuff is really cool. And I like that um, some of the, you know, people are being very creative. I just saw like an IS 300 and the guy is just literally just beating the crap out of it in the middle of the field. It's got, it's probably got 30 inch tires on it, like bigger than Holy what, what we run. Whoa. Yeah. And that's pretty it's a wild. Toyota. So I guess it would be good at that too. And so yeah. you're in, you're, uh, what's your neck of the woods here? You're in uh, Atlanta area. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Atlanta, um, kind of West Midtown area. So like in the city, um, opposed to like an hour away. People will tell you they're from Atlanta, but it's actually like an hour drive to, to get to downtown. So right. I'm actually in the city. The reason I oh, ask nice. is, well, you got quite a collection of cars behind you, but we also have seen you, uh, flying through what looks like a forest, some kind of a dirt track course where you put, uh, your safari builds to, in, uh, through their paces. Is that, West Midtown Atlanta, or is that outside of town? Uh, I actually have a little um, off-road course here in Midtown Atlanta, and then whenever I got my safari completed, I'm constantly looking for dirt roads. Like, you're always looking for paths, and it always happens to all the guys whenever they get their cars. They're like, you're like, you pass a dirt road, and you're like, you're like what was that? <laughs> Even if you're not driving the safari, because you just want to know, uh, you know, can you bomb it? Uh, can you, can you go down it? What's down there? So there is a couple of roads in, um, in Atlanta, but Atlanta's big time train, right? So there's a bunch of, uh, train depots, train tracks that aren't used anymore. So there's all kinds of little, uh, areas through the woods you can sneak in and it's kind of gravelly, um, roads, but ultimately north, Georgia, about two hours north of Atlanta and North Carolina up in the mountains up there is where my favorite place to go for sure. Uh, let me ask you, we've heard some rumors about law enforcement in those parts. What can you uh, tell us? In Atlanta or up in the uh, mountains? I guess all, all of the above. It's so funny because the safari definitely makes you do bad things. Like you <laughs> drive like a complete, um, yeah, you, you're like constantly kind of on the edge of probably getting arrested. But cops, like when they see the car, they're like, cool. They, they just like, it puts them in a good mood or whatever. So I've really never ran into too much trouble, uh, in the safari. Um, and my, all my customers seem to, you know, I mean, you're, you're, they're like right off a main road, just completely tearing up somebody's field and gas and stuff. But <laughs> for the most part, they stay out. Amazingly, we stay out, stay out of trouble. Um, apparently Atlanta's thinking about opening up. We have like a big, uh, street racing kind of underground street racing scene. Um, and apparently the mayor of Atlanta is talking about making a area for street racing in the in the city. Oh, I don't wow. think it'll happen, but yeah, there's been a couple of articles 
lately. Yeah, they did that in L.A. in like the I want to say the early '80s or late '70s. Um, Maybe call it like the the green light district or something. So was that what it was called? Oh, are you talking about the island that they had? It was it was out it was out near where um, Luft Four was. They kind of closed. They had a whole section where they just did like. I forget the dude's name who was kind of the the head of it. There was a little doc, mini yeah. doc on him on like Vice, I believe. Uh, and they had like, yeah, they just basically the, the mayor opened it up to street racing and put these like three dudes from Compton in charge of it. And they were kind of like pretty gnarly guys that like, they're basically like, don't fuck around here or else these guys will, you'll be on their shit list. And, uh, yeah, Sounds it was like a pretty, a way to run it. pretty interesting, uh, little thing, like kind of almost going in with the guys that got in trouble the most and putting them in charge, basically. Well, what was that? It was like Big Daddy something, right? We were talking yeah, about Big Daddy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, he was a huge uh, dude. Yeah. A big dude. And I think, I mean, it was, it ended up being like a pretty legit track, right? Like after it, it was on an island or something out there, like well, off of San Pedro. Out- yeah, it's yeah, San Pedro. It, so it might have been like landfill or something, right? I I vaguely uh-huh. remember the story, uh, but I was just thinking, like, I wonder if like making it legal and and built putting a little structure around it will then, you know, deter some people almost, right? It's like, nah, like we want like the thrill of it being like totally like you know uh, like underground or whatever. But I don't know. That's definitely an interesting idea I, for the. Atlanta I think there's a lot of illegal things that happen other than just street racing. I mean, there's a lot of betting, like big. Ten twenty thousand dollar races, you know. Um, So I don't, yeah, I don't know how it would work. Um, And then you would have like people like me show up, which I would never go to like an underground. But if there's a thing, so then you have guys, more people showing up that wouldn't be there. I don't know. I guess it could work. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, it might kind of blow up their scene in a way where they're like, "Oh fuck this, it's played out. Let's go to the legal street race." Yeah, I don't think they would want it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, sense. so racing, um, you obviously have been racing for a long time. Uh, you're a car guy. Like what, what is a little bit of, of history here? How, let's maybe go all the way back, start off with your first car and then maybe talk a little bit of how you started in motorsports. Like it would be interesting to hear kind of as a professional driver, what it took to get to where you are now and what that process looked like. Yeah. So, um, it's similar to most every racer I ever met. Um, my dad was a super into cars. So I grew up in a 911. He had a, got a nine, his first 911, a 930, um, in 85 or 86 or something. There's like All a right. picture of me sitting on the, on the fender of it when I was like three years old with my big bowl cut. Um, and he had, uh, 930s. He had another 930. Uh, and then the late nineties, he, when we went to races, so like I was going to, uh, Daytona 24 and 95. So I was like 12 years old. Um, we were cruised down there in the 930. So I was pretty much hooked. I mean, there was race car pictures, posters, model cars everywhere my entire life, you know, growing up. Um, and by the time, I mean, in <clears throat> 95, you know, I was, I knew what a 993 GT2 was and I knew all about it. And in 96, when the GT1 came out, you know, I knew what that was and what class it was racing for Le Mans and McLaren F1s. And just, you know, I was completely in it at like, you know, 12 years old. I was full on with racing the cars, but also like the racing side of it too. Did, um, did your dad actually race too, or was he just into cars? So he had this really nice, uh, 87 black 930 with the root, like, sweet exhaust and roof wheels and stuff. And this is mid nineties, 
to late nineties. And he wanted to start tracking and doing DE events. He'd never done driven on track before. So he knew, which like is <laughs> a lot of people take their really nice street car and, and track it and beat the crap out of it until, you know, it's all beat up and then they sell it and get a race car. So he knew he needed to get a race car and in the most ridiculous move ever. When I look back at it now, um, he sold his 930 in 98 and bought a 99, uh, 1996 993 GT2 Evo factory race car, oh, which, which was like, I mean, it's basically like a RSR GT2, you know, Le Mans RSR caliber car at that point, you know, <laughs> um, so rad, but it was absolutely. Those are like know, the best looking race cars ever, too. You yeah, said yeah, three, right? <clears throat> yeah, and yeah. With the little fender flares and everything, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still one of my favorite cars to this day. So he threw me in the back of it. I just sat in the tub um, <laughs> with my hand on the roll bar, and we would take it out to the airport. He was buddies with it. We lived, grew up in a small town, so he was buddies with the guy that owned the airport, and we'd go blasting down the airport runway. Yes. So, I mean, I was like in that thing, not strapped in, just sitting Jeez. in the tub. Uh, Dude, what know, a what an experience for a kid, especially big. with the engine right behind you. That yeah, air yeah. cooled motor. I was that... fully in. I mean, at that point, I knew all about that car, and I was keeping up with uh, all the racing like crazy. So, yeah, so he bought that to do DEs with, um, and he showed up to his first DE with like literally in, with a passenger seat, and some guy had to ride with him. And I think it was like December or something. It was like you know, 38 degrees, <laughs> just wow. ridiculous speeds. Um, so it was hilarious. So he was kind of instantly uh, infamous in that way. But, I mean, he was a good driver. He'd done tons of drag racing all his life and stuff. So he did DE events. And then I was hanging out, uh, checking tire pressures and, um, you know, checking out the car and just kind of being, being like a little mini crew chief riding my skateboard around the paddock and stuff um, and just kind of watching. And back then you couldn't drive anything until you were 18. So you couldn't do PCA events until you're 18 years old. Um, I mean, I ended up racing professionally against kids that had been driven cup cars since they were like 12 years old. Like I know a kid that drove a 996 cup car when he was 12 years old, like on wow. the track. So in Europe, you know, so, yeah. um, so yeah, he was doing DEs. I was hanging out, finally got old enough to drive. Um, and then back then Pano's racing school at road Atlanta was like a really like kind of like one of the go-to racing schools. And I mean, it was road Atlanta, so it was nearby. So I did the two day event there. Um, and some of my coaches were like Andrew Davis and Joe Foster. And I ended up, you know, racing with Joe Fo on Joe Foster's team with Dempsey racing and ended up co-driving with Andrew for a couple of years at Prumos. Um, but I didn't even know how to drive a stick. Uh, I had to borrow my buddy's Tacoma for a week before I went to the racing school so I could <laughs> learn, learn how to drive. And every, and my shifts were horrible, but I had the idea. I had been bombing dirt roads. So yeah, going back to when I was 16, um, I got an old, uh, Mercedes, which was a rear wheel drive, you know, four, uh, four door rear wheel drive car, uh, with decent power. Um, so basically, you know, that thing went down more dirt roads in middle Georgia than most of the, uh, pickup trucks around, so this is around a 300 Georgia. E or what, do you remember? Uh, 320. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so, so Brian, it, 
uh, real quick. So uh, last week, uh, one of our listener questions was if we could move to any place in the country, really kind of based around the roads that we had access to, right? Like a cool place with good roads. Brian was thinking about uh, the Atlanta or Georgia region because he's he wanted to drive on dirt roads. And it, I think you're confirming this, that there's a shit ton <coughs> of rad dirt roads in the region to actually enjoy. And they seem to be pretty unregulated, at least back then. I don't know about now, but that's pretty cool. No. Nah. Yeah, I grew up, the town I grew up in was 30,000 people and the closest town that was bigger was 60 miles away, Macon, Georgia. So there was like nothing out there. So, I mean, there's miles of dirt roads and I knew them all. So I just bombed them, you know, that's what I would do. Just go out. Um, and so I kind of knew how to drive before I drove on, I knew car control. I didn't know much else, but I knew car control by the time I got on the track. Well, and one of the things, so I was going to probably bring it up eventually, uh, but the reason why I brought it up last week was because I'm reading this book about the history of NASCAR, and it's all about, like I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, um, uh, and now I'm totally blanking on the actual name of it, <laughs> name of the book, but it's all about those dirt roads in between Atlanta and like Dawsonville, and uh, everybody was running moonshine on those back roads. And so there are like glorious descriptions, you know, coming from interviews with people who used to do it about what it's like bombing down those back road, dirt back roads at night with the police on your tail, like headlights off, just, uh, you know, full of liquor and just like sliding around all these corners. And uh, th- th- it's cool that you're actually describing that's what your customers are doing, more or less, you know, sans alcohol, I guess, uh, with these <laughs> these cards that you're building and like what you were doing when you were growing up with your Mercedes, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, the Safari thing is just the combination of like all my racing history and Porsches and my history as a kid on a four wheeler and then bombing, you know, dirt roads. Um, because we have a lot of nice dirt roads in Georgia. I mean, they're not paving all of them, but they'll, you know, they keep them up. So they're wide and smooth and, yeah. Um, and it's a different type of, uh, clay too, right? Like you've got a special, <clears throat> special dirt out there. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not gravelly in any way. Um, but it packs down real hard. Uh, oh, the perfect, awesome. the perfect road for that kind of stuff is like a, basically a really hard packed dirt. Um, but then it has a fine layer you know, of silt and loose stuff on the top, but not, you know, not rocks or stones or anything like that. So it's just dirt. Um, so it slides real good and, and doesn't, you know, rock gravel up in the fender well just over and over and over again can be, you know, can start doing some damage. So, so yeah, Dawsonville, there's actually a racetrack up there. Uh, Atlanta Motorsports Park is up there and there's a NASCAR history, I think, um, museum or something. museum i think i i think i've driven past that one time on a random trip yeah Yeah. so those roads once you get north of atlanta you start getting some real hills and stuff you know but that was like country country back then 50 years ago 60 years 60 years ago so yeah same kind of road but even like more up up and down hills and stuff like that so yeah i mean just pretend to be a rally car driver and we'll probably get into it but like you know when i was in high school i was building you know to me a model cars of wrc cars and stuff like that um and i loved uh being on dirt driving around i liked like less grip like just sliding all that stuff yeah so the the uh the Porsche choice is kind of interesting. You think, okay, Atlanta has a, I mean, there's a big Porsche presence there, right? Uh, North American HQ, 
was that the case back then? Is that how um, your dad got involved? Or I'm, I'm curious to think. I mean, people think the South, or they at were least Reno I do. back then, weren't they? Were they? Oh, were they were? So, like, I'm just curious to know. Like, what, so. that's an interesting choice. I would think, you know, South American, South uh, European, German car. Like, you know, like how that kind of, kind of comes to play into this. Yeah. So, <clears throat> my dad uh, was doing uh, drag racing stuff, right? So the interstate. Um, in middle Georgia there, they were building it. Um, so they actually used to go drag race on the interstate because it like went for miles and just stopped because they were building the interstate system through middle Georgia. So they go out there, but he went to road Atlanta in 1974. And, uh, uh, he was in road Atlanta back then was basically just like cut through and it was like red clay, 15 foot hills of dirt. And then you just sat on the edge and looked down. There's a couple of areas still at Royal Land that are kind of like that. Um, but it's a lot more refined, <laughs> polished than it used to be. But, uh, 74 RSR spun out, uh, spun out right in front of him. And basically he was looking straight down at it, uh, at this race at Royal Atlanta in 74. And, um, he guy couldn't get it cranked up and it kept on blowing fire. He was like, you know, trying to turn it over. He's blowing fire, blowing fire. He finally got it cranked up and basically do, do just, you know, put it on the rev limiter and drop the clutch and just did this huge burnout back on to the, uh, to the racetrack, you know? Um, and since then he was hooked on Porsches. <laughs> so like literally it was like all Porsche. He's got a story about a, um, uh, Playboy magazine, uh, Dece- December issue with a Porsche in it as well. Um, that, uh, he tells that's pretty funny too, but. Yeah, since then it was Porsche and then it was pretty much Porsche, uh, from then, from then on out. So I think, you know, once you have the kind of a moment like that and that's kind of what you've been looking for, you're pretty, pretty much hooked in a 911 Porsche. It's not too hard to get, get hooked on one of those. For sure. So that would have been, uh, back when, let's see, 74. Is that Hurley Hayward? It's RSRs, was it, dude. Was he driving a Brumos? That's uh, the IROX and stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah. like all. Yeah, yeah. RSR, 73 RSR, yeah. 74 RSR. So, so yeah, rats. Hurley, Hurley went to, um, I think Vietnam or something like that. Uh, oh, at right. At some point. Yeah. So he wouldn't, so he raced and then left, but he was racing 73. I think, no, he raced 74. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, the Brumos car didn't stick out. I don't think at that point, I don't know what car, you know, it was that, that spun out. But I mean, that's right when 911s got wide too. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. 930 yeah, yeah. is kind of the easy, um, or connection, right? Like, I mean, you can make that, that's what, that's what you get for a street car in terms of wide body 911 at the time, right? I mean, yeah. 75 was technically the first year, but did we get them in the U.S. in 75 or is that 76 first year? Uh, yeah, they, they were some in 75, but it really was 76 when they came. Gotcha. Uh, well, sorry. And, I mean, and, did I mean, and they did went I'm, from like, they went in 72, they were like this. And then 73, they went here. And then 74, they made a whole nother step. So they literally got like, like twice as wide in two years. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that, that, that first step being when I went to, to G body, right. Is what you're saying, or you're saying 73 RS is where, uh, you get the, the hips. Yeah. So like a 72, um, you know, they had the STs, which had flares and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but like 71, I mean, those cars were essentially, uh, narrow body. Um, and then the, as far as race cars go and then race cars, the 73 RSR came out, uh, and that was the wide body similar to like a 930 
kind of size as far as flares go. And then 74 was literally like two inches wider on each side in the rear. That's, yeah, I'm picturing like, what was that? The Lamar participating car. It was the two liter turbo, right? The really small displacement car that had a huge, huge wide body. Um, well, I don't, I don't remember what spec that is or what the model designation is, but that thing was like, Absurd. I mean, it's what you're describing. It's like twice as wide as a narrow body car, right? Yeah. So that was RSR Turbo, which I don't think I have a model of that car, um, which was kind of like the first turbo. Well, was the first turbo kind of race car, 911. Um, but that car was even probably wider than, uh, than the, even probably the 74 RSR. Uh, and that was like a test car, really. I mean, basically Porsche like kind of just threw, Turbo at it and it was a really small engine. Um, so it had terrible lag. Um, and then they had, I think they had some tire technology and tires from probably like 917 stuff. Um, they were just shoving back there. So crazy. Yeah. 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 There's a really iconic shot of that car coming down like one of the, one of like, I forget what the right hander before the most, not was it? Yeah. Is it the right hander yeah, before the most on? It's coming out Ford chicane onto the front straight at Lamar. Yeah, the, right there. Yeah. And it's that you can see the hips and it's so, it's almost comical, right? Cause the, the tire width, um, is basically half the width of the actual car yeah. of the, of the yeah. body itself. And, and it's just such a cool shot of the, the tire all stretched over and everything. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Did that Turbo car blowing. win its class or? That car did pretty good. It finished. Um, I don't know what it, where it ended up, there's some Porsche guy right now going, yeah, it won. It's yeah. But yeah, <laughs> well, that was remember. back in the days when like finishing was what, I mean, like finishing was what it was all about, right? And that's why Porsche did so well. And Lamar always was that they finished the race rather than, you know, because yeah, the attrition Porsche, was so great. Porsche was not always the fastest. And if you look back at some of these races, you know, they would not qualify first, but there, nobody could touch them in reliability. And of course they had cars that were, that were fast, like, you know, the 962 and 956 cleaned up pretty good and 917s. But like there was cars, you know, faster sometimes, like Ferrari could, could do a faster lap, but you know, they were done in three hours for the 24 hour race. So. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of ours, um, Marty at MSDS, uh, he does like exhaust and stuff. Um, I have his exhaust on my, his headers on my 944, but he just picked up the number 40 1970 Le Mans 914. Um, that won its, it won its class at Le Mans. Basically it beat every 911. Um, and it got sixth overall at Le Mans. And he yeah. just picked, he just picked that car up as his, you nice. know, it's his car now. Um, yeah. it's pretty That's awesome. It. That's a pretty awesome piece of history. You know, you're like, like a little my 14 that, you know, battled all the big boys and stuff. We still so. need to find out how he pulled that off. I, dude, the, here's the crazier thing. He also has the 1982. I don't know the liver. It's like a silver and blue 924, uh, career GT, GTS or is it GTR, um, Lamar car. He picked up that at the same time. That's so right. <laughs> so two Lamar, like finishers and, and cars that did really well at Lamar. Pretty awesome. That's huge. So, uh, Lee, um, evidently you, you started, you got into racing. It sounds like things were, got 
forgive the pun, accelerated very quickly, right? I mean, you went from a Panos race school to the Brumos car. Um, you start racing. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of information about you and, and that and your career. But um, one thing in particular that I find really interesting is that you got to participate at Le Mans, speaking of Le Mans, several times. And um, um, yeah, can you share a little bit about that experience? Like, what is it like to fly and participate in that event or fly to and participate in that event? Yeah, so Le Mans is like definitely the race. The big, I've done uh, 24 of Nurburgring too. And from the driver's seat um, and the amount of cars, 24 of Nurburgring is a whole other beast in itself. But like Le Mans is, as far as there's a lot of races that go on in Le Mans is, is so far a, a, the top, um, the level, the the people you're competing against. So it was always like, Oh, it was so cool to be doing it, but I was always like super stressed. I was always really relaxed when I was racing Grand Am and ALMS and IMSA and the States and everything like that. But for the Lamar races that I did, I was always like, my stress level was just always super high and it, it bugged me because I, I didn't know how to deal. I was always chill. So I didn't know how to deal with that. And then it's like a week long deal. So you're just going in, in the, it's so funny because the sessions are like, like on Wednesday, the sessions are like 6 p.m. to midnight. Like the scheduling is like really weird. And then there's the driver's parade and everything. So the first year I did it, which is on Friday. Um, so you're like trying to rest. So you had this long week and you're like, all right, I need to rest. And then you have this driver's parade where you like literally walk through the city and sit on the back of this old car from the twenties for like three hours and throw, um, koozies and coasters at <laughs> French people. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, that was brand, so branded, the, I imagine. Was that with your, your sponsors, uh, koozies or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So like with WeatherTech, we had these little, uh, coaster floor mats and stuff like that. So there's like all the teams, you bring different stuff, like all kinds of little keychains, uh, hero cards or whatever. It's like crazy. If you never looked it up, just look up Driver's Parade Lamar. Um, mm. it's, it's pretty cool. It's actually a very, very cool thing. I just, you know, try to relax before you have to do the most. Yeah. Did um, you get on the Ferris wheel? <laughs> so we, so I went in 99 with my dad. So in 99, when the GT1 Toyota was running and the CLR, when the CLR flipped, uh, the Mercedes and BMW one. Yeah. So I, and we rode the, we rode the Ferris wheel. Uh, Did you see then. the flip? So it flipped after the Mulsanne corner in between Indianapolis and Mulsanne. So there's kind of like the Mulsanne straight, which where they put the chicanes and then there's Mulsanne corner. Then there's like another straight that's like got two kinks in it. That's really narrow. Um, and then you come up to, uh, Indianapolis and then Arnage. Um, and Indianapolis is kind of like a 90 degree banked corner. I think that's why they call it Indianapolis. Um, and we were there. So during the race, so we, and then the literally like, right up the road we couldn't have been closer to where it flipped but where it flipped there was no people so oh, yeah. i almost i almost saw it flip but we just remember like all these ambulances going but when we first walked in on friday um <clears throat> we were behind the paddock and there was a clr and the first car we saw was a clr on a flatbed and the roof was completely scraped up like it had been flipped and slid on its roof and we were like, oh, that's not good. And that's when uh, Mark Weber, I think, because uh, it flipped twice. Right. It flipped three yeah. times total. It flipped twice in practice. <laughs> so so we knew something was going on. Yeah. It's yeah. a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, so um, 
I just want to go back to prep. You're talking about resting, you know, all that. You're trying to prepare yourself for this. This is in 2010, right? The, the first yes. race you, you actually participated in. So back yes. then, you, you had some sim, you had some Gran Turismo. Were you on that a lot before the event, or were you just like waiting <clears> to <throat> practice on track before you committed? Or, or Le Mans? Really practice? Yeah. Um, not really for Le Mans. Um, in that track, it seemed like when you look at it on a video or in a video game or whatever, it seems like really simple. But it's there's so and it's long, but it's it's still you know not a crazy amount of corners like Nurburgring. But uh, when you drive it, there's so many little things like just each curbing is different, and there's like a little place you can cheat here and um, a little place you can skip there, and more grip in this area you wouldn't think it's there and uh, it's like, it's really, really a tough track to learn and go fast. I had always been able to hop on a racetrack and go pretty quick. And, uh, of course, everybody there, most of the guys have been there, uh, plenty of times and they were basically the best. I was racing in GT2 class. This was GT2 and GT1. So GT2 at that point was pretty much where all the manufacturers and factory teams were. So I was racing against, you know, factory Ferrari, factory Porsche and people like that. And what, what car were you in? Yeah, I was in a 430 uh, Hankook sponsored uh, with Hankook tires, and everybody was on Michelin. So, I mean, we were very much, you know, an, an underdog, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the the track is – there's, like – it's actually really hard to get, get going. The experience is huge there, and you don't get, you know, that much – track time so it's 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 just like a really hard event i guess going back to what i was kind of saying the stress levels and everything you know everybody is like just perfect going full out every lap and this was getting to the point where the cars were getting very reliable so you um you know one like back in the day when you just kind of cruised around it was you know somebody was gonna not have any issues and be going full tilt the whole time um so you pretty much had to go um, and hope nothing happens. And that's, you know, that's kind of what endurance racing is these days um, versus what it used to be, you know, back in the day. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers this year, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. I received my little package from Mint Mobile the other day, and uh, it's a really cool thing. They just send you an envelope with a credit card-looking thing in it, and it has all the different SIM card sizes, so they're all in one, and you pop out which size fits your phone. So in my case, it's like the smallest for an iPhone. So I popped it out, put it in my phone, basically entered the activation code i was on in literally 10 minutes it was the easiest thing i've ever done like way easier than any other cell phone setup and the reason i did it is my daughter she's 10 years old and she's been having a lot of zoom meetings because she's home from school and we needed to get her a phone and then also if we leave the house we don't have a a landline anymore so we really wanted to be able to have her have a phone so she can contact us or her grandparents or we used an old iphone 
connected it in 10 minutes and it works perfect. She's like texting. She can do everything with it. It's awesome. And their plans start at $15 a month. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, basically, Mint Mobile gets rid of all of the extra stuff uh, that was built up from, like, existing history where you used to want to walk into stores. They do away with all that, make it super cheap just with the basics, and provide super good service that way. Like, you don't want to walk into a store. Yeah. These guys just send it straight to your house. Yeah, and they use uh, T-Mobile's network, so it's really solid. Right. Uh, it's just a, I mean, it's a really awesome alternative and I'm convinced to switch over my own phone, actually. Pretty sure Ryan Reynolds does it too, so yeah, that's a good he's reason. He's pretty cool too, so you should probably He's do pretty it. cool. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. With Mint Mobile, stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com forward slash DWA. That's mintmobile.com forward slash DWA. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com forward slash DWA. Right. So that not reliability, not as much of a factor. So really focusing on performing at your absolute limit. And I kind of find it interesting. I think there are some parallels with, I talked to some people who race like ovals, right? Or even clay ovals and different, it's like, because you're only dealing with a, a certain amount of turns, it becomes all about the surfaces and there's more nuance to it. Right. And I think maybe, uh, uh, Lama is like that where there's, because you have the super long straights and, you know, there are turns and I imagine the speeds, uh, really contribute to that too, where something you wouldn't even consider a kink maybe becomes a kink at 200 miles an hour. But, um, it's, it's interesting to hear how like, yeah, there's, there's so many different factors that come into play and, and yeah, the stress has got to be insane. So what, what, uh, session did you end up driving in? Cause I know, you know, it's a 24 hour race, right? So, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so there's only three drivers in Lamar, so you pretty much rotate through. Um, I probably would have gone in third. The two full-time drivers for that car would have started and finished and done the, the second cent. But the cool thing was I finished the race. Um, oh, nice. and by, by that point, so we finished second uh, in GT2 class and wow. GT1, uh, we finished ahead of all the GT1 cars because those GT1 cars at the time were kind of like pro am. There weren't any factory efforts. Um, so I guess we could enter GT1 and won our class, but, um, but yeah, so I was in the car for the last, uh, hour or so. And that's what I really remember. And we had a couple of lap lead at that point to third. So. It was more about don't screw up, um, which can kind of be hard sometimes too when you're only trying to drive 90% instead of like, you know, fully focused. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that was cool. And, uh, mm. the, the Audi, I guess the Audi would have won. Um, and there's big screens all around. I mean, the, the race is huge and there's these huge jumbotron screens and you can see them, uh, when you're in the car on the track. So we were trying to connect up. Um, the team wanted me to connect up with the Audi and be basically right behind the Audi when it crossed the finish line for the photo. And they were trying to tell me, and I kept watching the screens, you know, 
while I was going the track and they were showing, you know, the, the broadcast was showing the Audis because they were winning the race. It was at the end. So I could tell where they were. So then I just kind of like slowed up when I needed to and, and actually knew exactly where they were on the track. And then, yeah, got right behind them, uh, for the, for the finish of that. That's awesome. That's did awesome. you, did you drive in the night and in the rain at all? <clears throat> so it didn't rain at all. So we were on Hancock tires and I mean, I got to give it to, to them that, you know, it was, they did a good job. The team was fine marker racing. Um, and we, you know, we just basically ran and ran and ran. We weren't, you know, nearly the fastest car, but we were reliable and the tires actually did really good. Um, but no rain, uh, slicks. And then with a tire sponsorship, there's really like, I, I wouldn't say there's much of a tire budget or anything at Lamar for teams anyways, because it's the biggest, you know, race you're going for it no matter what. But, you know, it's basically new tires every pit. So it's just constantly stickers every pit stop. Um, but yeah, no rain, but yeah, I mean, I think I did probably two double stints during the night. I think the nights are pretty short. It doesn't get dark till, um, yeah, it doesn't get dark till like midnight or 1130 at night. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's weird. And the sun comes up, uh, pretty early, like six or 7 a.m. So I would have had the, um, you know, I've done so many races. <laughs> I wish I remembered some stuff better, yeah, but yeah. yeah, I would have done the sunset or sun up, um, race in the Lamont gets dark. Yeah. It gets really dark. Yeah. How sketchy shit. is that? I mean, that seems. Uh, just even playing video games where it's nighttime and stuff, you're like, and Lamaze, it's a fast course, right? I mean, you're going, your average yeah. speed is pretty high compared to a lot of, or a lot of racetracks. Yeah. I mean, there's been guys, you know, on the, so the Mulsanne was just like, it was like three and a half miles pretty much straight. And then they put those two chicanes there and then they put tire barriers there. Um, so you had to go around them. Um, and it's real easy. So it's at night, it's very like, calm in the car it's very like relaxing in a lot of ways you don't see nearly as much um it's kind of a kind of a surreal experience and you can uh and then so like it looks the same as soon as you come out of uh you know the last corner onto you know the the, the straightaway there it's basically straight and it's a two-lane um you know french road and it's got guardrails and there's really nothing to tell you where you are. You know, you can't see that far ahead of in front of you. So you're really looking for, I mean, you, you kind of remember bumps in the roads and different things like that. And some side streets will go by, but you're, you know, 170 at night. So, um, <laughs> you blink your eye, you can miss that. Yeah. Uh, but so you're looking for those brake markers, but if you kind of zone out, I mean, there's been guys that zone out and, they just think they're still going down the straight, but they just blew past the one marker and, you know, <laughs> they send it into the can. tire barrier. Jeez. Deadly. Yeah. Uh, what, I, I just want to yeah. ask, oh, go ahead. Well, it's, it's just, I mean, you're talking about this. It's like in a normal race, endurance race, like keeping your attention is super critical. Like at Le Mans where it's these long straights, it just seems like such a challenge. <laughs> I mean, with your foot on the gas and the drone of the car just mechanically making noise and you're just bombing for that long at night, you're likely tired. It just seems like, like the ultimate test of somebody's focus. Yeah. That's what makes Lama. I think, uh, well, one thing that makes Lama a little bit different is you don't have those straights normally, even right. at Daytona. You have turns to keep you on your toes. Yeah. <clears throat> so you're, it's a fight between trying to relax because you're trying to 
keep energy, relax as much as you can in the car, but also stay alert, stay aware enough, um, and get ready for, you know, the next corner. Uh, so I actually, I think in 2011, I wore a GPS heart rate monitor and, it, you know, it just showed my, where my heart rate was, where I was on the track and I wore it for a stint and you could see it, uh, trend up and ultimately I got to like 170 and I think my average, like towards the end in the last three laps, my average was around like 150. Wow. Um, but you could see it go down on the straights and then spike a little bit at each corner. And then when I get into the Porsche curves past Indianapolis Porsche curves, it goes up, 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 they, they, through the front straight, through that area where the Dunlop bridge is, it goes up, 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 and then just starts trending back down again on the, on the straights. It's kind That's of interesting. cool. That's wild. So, um, I did want to ask one more thing about Lamar just because we watched Ford, Ford versus Ferrari recently. And then, uh, it looks like Warren's going to be bringing in some questions. We have some good questions from our listeners. Uh, but, uh, you talked about reliability not being as much of a factor, at least, you know, starting around, you know, in 2010 or so. Um, but back then, you know, they always talk about keeping the revs down and like being very cautious and, and conscious of what, where the car is temperature wise and all that. Like how much of that is, is part of your focus or, or are you just driving full tilt all the time? Um, yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> there's so many different situations. I've been in those situations a ton where we have the front grills taped up for a little bit more downforce. So, we can only draft so much and stuff like that. Um, that car, that uh, car, I think we we're probably short shifting a little bit. Um, you know, basically, you could short shift three or four hundred RPMs. It also saves fuel. Um, and then curb strikes. You know, you got to be really careful curb strikes and and just like making a mistake and dropping a wheel at the wrong moment. Um, you know, taking a hard hit on the suspension is super important not to do to keep the focus up, um, for that. But yeah, just <clears throat> not that race so much, but because you're, I mean, you're so prepared, the car's dialed in. There's been test days, uh, pre-test days weeks before and test days and the team pretty much has the, the team, all the teams are high, you know, high caliber. So the car is dialed in. We know the temperature. Um, stuff like that, but short shifting, obviously, and then maybe not, uh, not doing a shift. So, you know, maybe lug in third, maybe like lug in third gear, you know, might be a tenth slower. Um, but it's two less ships every lap and it saves fuel. Um, and the gearbox, so, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, less shifts on the gearbox, good thing. And, uh, you know, if you run a little bit lower gear, it'll save a little bit more fuel too. And over a 24-hour period, if all the drivers do that, you know, it turns out to be, you know, hundreds of less shifts and, uh, you know, a little bit more fuel. And people, <clears throat> you think about fuel like, oh, you, you want to save fuel so you can go longer. That's not always the case. If you save fuel when you pit, the, sh the fill is going to be shorter so you save time in the, uh, in the pits. So you could ride, you could roll as Lama, especially with the draft, you can just sit there and cruise behind somebody. So say you're racing with somebody and, um, the pace is really close and you're, it would be a little bit risky to maybe make a pass. Um, just cruise behind them in their draft, save a little bit of fuel. And then when you guys both pit, if your fill time is like three or four seconds shorter, then when you go out the pits, 
Yeah, you're in that's front rad. of That's rad. That's easiest like pass ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned yeah. uh, racing Nurburgring, and our friend Paul from Auto Kennel had a question on YouTube. So um, he says, "Your video of you driving at night in the rain at the 24 Hours of Nurburgring looked absolutely frightening. Was it as scary as the video? Tell us more about that experience." Yeah. So yeah, I think that's probably my most famous video on, on YouTube. Um, it was, it actually red flagged before. I mean, I've been to a number a bunch at that point and that was definitely like the worst conditions ever. Um, when was this, this was 2013 during the 24 hour race. I was in a GT three R. Um, and the conditions were like, it's just, were crazy, like horrible, like the worst. It wasn't just rain. It was like even worse. And there was, like just tons of crashes. People were, you weren't, people weren't able to go fast enough to keep heating their tires. Uh, so then once you kind of take that fall, they just go bone stone cold. And if you have, I mean, on that track, if you have a cold tire and you can't see anything and it's just like, it's like super sketchy. So, um, that's probably like, I was extremely focused and I felt really, really, really good in the car at that moment. Um, those races are like 200 cars, you know, and at that, at that time it was like two, 2 AM or something like that. At that time I was the fastest car on the track. Um, and I, we went from like 24th to like 16th or something like that in like 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> That's solid. So, I've, I've that never was, seen this. I gotta, I gotta watch this video. This sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's on YouTube. So, uh, it's like point of view kind of deal. Um, but yeah, I was, so I wasn't scared. Um, but when I got out of the car, I was like, Oh, uh, that was a little bit, a little <laughs> bit sketchy, but Nürburgring is like my favorite place. So we we're talking about Lamar bunch and, and all that and how nice it is to drive. But Nürburgring is, I mean, you can see it right there. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, that's my place. That's where I proposed to my wife. You know, oh, that's awesome! Yes. Like, yeah, in a car is, or what? What was that deal? That's what my was place. That? No, just right there on front of the uh, on the wi- the webcam where you know the webcam where cars drive out onto the yeah, track. Yeah, 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 just right there. So oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, what there. you're saying is you know, she was back home and you proposed to her on the webcam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. no, actually, yeah, I actually brought her before. A little <laughs> sign. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. never met before. <laughs> You know, so the, I, I haven't, Brian's driven the ring. I mean, we, uh, but I, I haven't been out. And one thing that I always freak out about is, you know, we, we were used to driving, um, you know, I've driven on some tracks, but driving in Northern California here on these roads, we know certain areas that are prone to being damp, right? Even when it's a sunny day out because there's a creek that you know, kind of drips off or, you know, there's kind of wash from a uh, cliffside or whatever. And so, you know, you anticipate those areas and you adjust and you're ready for them, but the Nürburgring freaks me out because the weather changes all the time. And so like, it seems like, you know, you never know what to expect, right? A, a, a road surface can be totally damp or it could be dry or it could not. Or so like, how does that like, keep, I mean, it's gotta keep you on your toes, but how do you prepare for something like that? Uh, it Nürburgring's all about reaction. Like it, you just never know. You never, never know when you go around next, the next corner. I mean, there could be a guy in the road that just wrecked his scooter um, there could be a bus. <laughs> if you do tourist laps, I mean, you know, you, you're, there could be a bus. Um, 
there's people, so they do like a, like it's like a construction zone. So if it, if there's a, there's no safety cars. If there's a crash, they basically do code 60 construction zones and basically put up cones and there's like safety vehicles and they're recovering this person and you come around a corner and there's like a traffic jam all of a sudden and it, you're just like literally <laughs> just completely hard on the brakes and the guy by, and you're like, you're like, all right, I think I'm going to stop before I hit that person. But the guy behind me, I'm not so sure he's going to stop before he hits me. And you cruise through and then you go. So it's all about um, just kind of natural reaction or experience, you know, um, taking it at how it's thrown at you. So, yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, you know, I've been around that track. Two areas where there are two completely wet areas and two completely dry areas. So you drive into the wet, back into the dry, back into the wet, back into the dry. And you can't, you know, you'll kind of burn up rain tires pretty fast on uh, on dry. So you kind of got to run slicks in those situations. And if it's the race, you know, you got to just kind of go. So then you're kind of on slicks and yeah, it's, it's so a whole nother beast. During this uh, video that was referenced, uh, where you're racing, uh, in those terrible conditions, um, you mentioned that people weren't able to keep the heat in their tires. You were able to, you were able to just drive above that level where you were keeping the tires good. And, uh, well, a lot of other people are just sliding off the track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Car control, like the reason I was a good uh, driver or whatever, but wasn't because like I was super, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say I wasn't dumb in the car, but I wasn't s- smart in the car or I wasn't analyzing every, it's because I just had like car control. I just basically relied on my car control. Um, so with that, I could lean on the car, constantly slide the car. So I had the TC setting turned down probably like a little bit more less intrusive than normally a person um, would have it uh, in the rain. Um, so the car would slide more. And if you're sliding um, and I'm always looking for opportunities to build temperature in the, in the tires. Uh, so yeah, if you're sliding the car or spinning the tires and stuff like that, that'll keep um, up. that's kind yeah. of building temperature, you know? Yeah. So because Nürburgring is kind of hard to, um, to get Nürburgring is really good on tires, even though it's a ton of corners. Um, it doesn't put a ton of heat in tires and it doesn't really like use, use up tires or, you know, scrub tires really good. Mostly because it's a good surface, right? It's just like well paved. Is that the thing? It seems bumpy though, right? I mean, it's bumpy. Yeah. It's a really nice surface. There's, you know, they paint, paint it. There's a lot of paint on it. Um, so that, you know, is, is less, um, grippy or or grippy. Of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why it doesn't, because it's all corners you would think, but it's all flowing stuff and yeah. I mean, why? Yeah. yeah, It's not big, like high load, um, corners, right? Like a bunch of some obviously, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't waste tires or doesn't use up tires. And, and, um, and when it rains, it's, it's also, I mean, scary. So a lot of people just tone it back a little bit. And like I said, as soon as you start going down that cliff, you're kind of, so we, we actually were, um, changing rain tires because we had tire heaters. So every stint, the tires would be, the tires that came off the car, the stint before 
would go back on the car because they were just in the heater box for mm. like, you know, 50 minutes mm. or something. And they would actually be, actually be hotter than what you could actually mm. make the tire. I mean, it was like just yeah. crazy aquaplaning and just an insane amount of rain. How, how long water. are your, how long are your stints in a 24 hour Nurburgring? Race? Um, you usually go doubles, um, at place like Nurburgring, you'll usually do doubles because there's four drivers. Uh, and then I think it's, I think it's, what's funny that it's like eight laps or something like that, you know, or seven <laughs> or eight laps. Yeah. It's <laughs> not many, like a whole stint's like seven or eight laps. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Just when you're getting the hang of it, it's like, nope, that's it. What, what <laughs> yeah. team were you racing with? Uh, or I mean, I guess, I don't know, maybe you have a standard team or uh, I'm, I'm just kind of curious at, which ones at you that time. With. Yeah. I mean, in general. Yeah. Maybe also today, if you go out there, who you race with. Um, at that time it was Fahnmarker racing. Most of the stuff in Europe was Fahnmarker. Okay. I raced for, in the States, Fahnmarker Lowell's, Dempsey, Patrick Dempsey's team, Brumos, and Alex Job racing. Uh, Alex Job used to be, well, I guess Brumos kind of too, but Alex Job used to be an ex, or they're an ex factory Porsche team. They were the pe- Porsche team for ALMS in the early, um, 2000s. Um, now Goldcrest Motorsports is who I, uh, you know, looks after my car. I don't race professionally anymore. Um, just kind of do fun races, race. With, well, I got a lot of friends that have the race cars too. So I got a good buddy that's got a GT3R and some other friends. So I, I drive with them. Um, but just at the amateur kind of fun level now compared like- to what it used to be. If you were to go to Nurburgring, uh, sometime in the next year, would you, would you go and would you just like do tourist laps or would you set up to like be there during a VLN race or something like that and actually get out there? No, I would definitely just do tourist laps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, yeah, do tourist laps, have some fun. Um, in a slower car, anybody that wants to go, like I've driven, uh, some faster street cars at Nürburgring, but the slower cars are more fun and it takes longer. You're out there longer. So, so it's kind of, it's kind of nice. You're getting more That's um, cool. bang, bang for your buck. So what are some slower yeah. cars? So I think probably the best car is like a BRZ or a mm-hmm. Toyota eight, six, I guess over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a really, really good car and you could still go fast. I mean, it handles really well. So, but you're not going to get in too much trouble cause it, doesn't have that much power. Yeah. So um, I want to go back real quick to kind of uh, tie in your early history to the first Safari build and kind of goes back to this, some of these, you know, you, you can appreciate a Toyota 86, even though you've driven all these, you know, ultimately very, very fast race cars racing at very high levels. Um, how many cars between the Mercedes uh, before you got yourself a 911? Oh, so 911 was, well, I want a 911 since I was like, I don't know, five years, five years old, probably. Um, but I wanted, uh, so in 2005 or 2006, yeah, I started racing in 997 and the 997 GT3 RS came out and I'd seen 996 GT3 RS, you know, some guys imported them and club raced them and they were kind of in the paddock. But when the 997 came out, um, you know, that was a, a nice little upgrade of a race car. And then the RSs started hitting, you know, the paddock and cruising around. So when I f- saw first uh, 997.1 RS white, I was like, yeah, that's, that's my Porsche right there. 
And then, I mean, I wanted 993. There's like, I had a list I already wanted, but yeah. uh, I, I wanted to make sure the first one finally was, was the, I wasn't going to spend any money on the other ones until I got the exact one I wanted. And I saw the green one. Um, and once I saw the green one, probably like 07. And I was like, yeah, that's it. So it wasn't until 2012 until I got the first 911. Uh, I had raced with uh, Brumos and Alex Job in ALMS and Grand Am Rolex. Uh, all 2011. So basically I was like, just putting money in the bank. And then finally it was like, yep, it's time. And, uh, and luckily that was a little bit ahead of the, uh, when the craziness started for the 911. So yeah, I got the uh, green, you know, 2008 GT3 RS was my first car. That's, that's great. I mean, that's, and a lot of people, again, they associate you with air cooled 911s, right? And you actually started with a water cooled car as your first 911. Um, so, um, it looks like we have quite a bit of, uh, quite a few questions about the Safari. So, I mean, it might be a good time, right, Warren, to, uh, start talking about that. First Safari build. Can how we that do, came uh, to be. I want to, I want to see a little shop walk around if that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I, mean, I need to grab could, another beer. Anyway. There is yeah, a sorry, Safari perfect. 911 back there. So maybe we could, we could focus yeah, on yeah. that one. Yeah. Does that work? Yeah. yeah. I got that. That nine nine three looks familiar. Oh, yeah. yeah, this so that was at uh, Radwood in Atlanta. Yep. That's the yep. wife's car, uh, right? No, no, this is this is uh this is mine. She wants a she wants a C four S. her she's got the white she's got the white bug out, but she yeah, she was driving that. Yeah, she came she drank, she showed up in that, didn't she? At, yeah, yeah. Uh, at Radwood. So yeah, that's a that's a ninety eight and it's a um you know, the C- C2S with the tw- twin grill. So it's a wide yeah. body. Um, I like that one. Yeah, wide body car, rear wheel drive, naturally aspirated wide body. So let me last nice. year, 993. Yeah, last year of the air cooled. Um, yeah, pretty cool car. I mean, 993. So my first race car uh, was a 993. So um, I always have a soft spot. And I mean, the curves. Yeah, there's actually. You know, White looks great on those. And you didn't. You're not going to go with the Euro bumper, huh? Keeping the bumper. I, I got the. Uh, so you know, like I'm big with you know design and looks. Like that's super important to me. And I like. Is it weird that I like the bumperettes? Yes, because it's weird, huh? I have <laughs> weird, so huh? many people that are like, "Why do you still have bumperettes?" And I'm like, oh, "I got a ladybug over here." Um, <laughs> Hi, ladybug. Yeah. So I like the bumperettes. So right. I, I don't that's know. Great. Yeah, that's easy then. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, it is a pain in the ass. I, 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 you know, with my nine nine three, I wanted to delete them, but you have to replace the whole bumper. You can't just get, you know, like in a nine six four, the bumperette doesn't go into the bumper. It just is in the in the light section. So you can just replace yeah. the bumperette with a longer light. Um, and yeah. that was like, I, I just, you know, I, I was dealing with a car with original paint, and then you know, painting the bumper and not matching, and I was like, I'm over it. But that's great that you like it. That's easy. Yeah, it's easier that way, right? I mean, I did the Turbo S, you know, and it's got the, it's, it's the turbo lower front bumper, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and I'll pull this car out. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's the way to pull cars out right there. Muscle man. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs Good thing it has those bumper bars. I just, yeah, love yeah, that's, that's one use tour. for them. Yeah. Yeah. This so yeah. Nice. Um, this is Safari number 16. Um, it was completed, um, actually a while ago, but, uh, the owner isn't ready to take delivery yet. He's in the middle of a move and stuff like that. So, 
Um, it's acid blue, which is like an early 70s uh, color. Mm. So, uh. yeah. Yeah, so any questions, questions or whatever, I don't know. Maybe I'll just I want to see the, the interior on this one. Yeah, so this. unique. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. That's heavy. Wow. From a Dude, dog's. Doggies. Wow. I mean, who doesn't like dogs? Do we have any cat people? Sorry, I couldn't find any cat. <laughs> cool cat. So he's got cool two two little girls. Um, and I wow. found this at a, at a textile textile store um, <laughs> in Atlanta. You know, and uh, I was like, "Hey, let's do dogs." And he was like, "You mean they still had some left on the cool. shelf?" <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I have some Lego material too somewhere. It's, it literally oh, looks cool. like Legos. So that so, sounds uncomfortable, but so real yeah. quick about the, the safari. So you said that's number sixteen. How many have you made? Um, delivered number twenty. Um, uh, let's see, a month ago or something, oh, and right. and right now, um, number 21, 23, 24, 25, 26, and 28 are in production right now. Oh, right. Whoa. And and so, so the first one, uh, when when was that? Yeah, the first one, uh, my car was in July or August of uh, 15. So it was right before, yeah. So I don't really kind of know what. I remember seeing it in Monterey, like pretty early on. It it literally was finished like a day before it shipped, and I went to Monterey Car Week with it, and because Rensport was that year too, so I left Mm -hmm. it out there. I actually left it uh, at uh, Mark Arsenal's um shop oh and right he actually drove it yeah it was at his house for a little while and he drove it around i remember that yeah that's that's funny small world man and and so yeah. what was the the impetus there like did i mean you talked a little bit about your background right you, you obviously love porsches dirt roads off-road stuff was your intention to actually build this and make it into a business or did the demand just kind of sprout <clears throat> up after they saw the car yeah so uh, the Keen project started. So in 2013, I was racing, um, with Brumos and Brumos wasn't going to do the full season. Yeah. And I had like a little ALMS gig, but it was only a couple of races. Um, and I was like, well, if I'm not racing, I got to do something. So I always wanted to kind of do like a, a build kind of Porsches, build Porsches a certain way. And I'd been in a lot of Porsches at that point. Uh, kind of knew what feels good or what's right. So, um, I came up with a back, well, I wanted to do a back date. So it was like way harder. I did finish the car eventually, but it was way harder than I ever, it was like a ton of work and everything, but I always wanted to, so I started the Keen project and I wanted to kind of do a certain style of builds. The second one was always going to be, um, a safari because that's what I wanted. Um, and, uh, so in basically early 2015, the back date was taking so long and I was like, I need to, and I wanted the car. So all the cars were kind of like cars that I wanted. So I was like, it's just time to do it. So I did that car, sent, sent it out to, uh, Monterey car week, did Rin Sport, uh, Pete Stout met me at, um, the Porsche for Rensport Porsche show. Um, and, uh, he put it in Panorama magazine, but I had, a, there was a buddy 
um, out there that drove my car. We actually found this little dirt road right off 17 mile drive, like inside the Pebble Beach kind of oh, area. Nice. Yeah. There was some dude living in a camper <laughs> yelling at us and we were bombing that road. So he was like, yeah, he's like, dude, I want one of these. So that was the first customer car. But nice. by the time, you know, I got the car back from California, I had a bunch of, you know, inquiries about it and everything like that. Um, but that was and, your first time driving it. It sounds like, uh, after it was yeah. done, like you're taking customer orders, but it feels like at that point you'd still be kind of fine tuning which parts you want on there and how you want it to drive and, and work. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was luck or maybe just, I don't know, experience or a combination of both, but out of the box, it was super good. We've only changed, we've changed the shocks since then and a couple of other little things, but essentially my car um, is exactly how, you know, how it was built in the very beginning. Um, Design-wise, the way it looks and everything for sure is the same, but even some of the parts and stuff, we've, I mean, we've definitely learned a lot, um, but essentially the, the recipe, I guess, is, is very similar. I mean, there's so many great parts for the cars. We use some road racing stuff. You have to adjust, uh, do some work to the front spindle for the higher ride height, but the torsion bars make it easy to lift. The car is a perfect platform for, you know, what we're doing. Porsche did it forever ago, a long time ago and very successful, um, with, you know, the G body torsion bar, you know, cars. So, so so with the the Safari name, obviously they raced them in the Eastern uh, African Safari. Um, were they called Safari 911s before you did, like, started calling them that? Is that the term that they used, or was it just a rally think, car that participated in that rally? Um, I mean, I always, I think those cars were always considered Safari cars, like, cause it, rally and Safari is, is, is very different type of racing. So I always called the cars. I mean, there's even car, uh, long hood cars, like, Zwart has a really cool green, uh, I think it's a 73. Um, you know, safari car, it's got the Volkswagen bus straps on the C pillar. So the guy can hang <laughs> on the back and all that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so that was always, you know, uh, they were always called safari cars, but I think now the word is just a lot more known, I guess, compared to like rally. Everybody kind of yeah. knew what a rally car was. Um, and, but yeah, I, they were always there. It was always considered safari cars right yeah. east african safari so yeah because brian doesn't like the term he thinks that uh it should <laughs> it, it's uh that porsche maybe didn't establish that right because i mean there were other cars that participated in that race right in that class so if you raced a ford capri for example was that a safari capri you think or uh, that's what i'm trying to get at well yeah, people no. weren't naming them these things necessarily back then right it's like you just i don't take, know you, yeah but but i think that the safari rally was uh, uh, completely different in terms of like what abuse the cars had to take. So I'm guessing, you know, higher ride height. So. Yeah. If, if you're saying safari, you've got like extra protection up front and the higher ride height and different, you yeah, know, notice how choices. He said safari, safari rally is what he said it was. So yeah. safaris are rallies. Yeah, I don't know. I, ne- I never, I don't think I want to go down that road of uh, the right terminology. <laughs> you don't want to get Brian's bad side, is what you're saying? Well, like uh, WRC, 
uh, Art, I should say, and uh, uh, Lee, so I actually did uh, reach out to you on Instagram to just ask you a little bit about this history. I, I didn't know we were going to chat here on the uh, uh, on the podcast. Um, I'm super stoked to get the chance to hear more. But yeah, I was poking you a little bit about the safari name just to understand where it came from because, I don't know, a podcast maybe two or three years ago, I was like... I don't know. I was I, like, I grew up and I was, I was super into the Dukes of Hazard and stuff and all this stuff, like just basically getting sideways in dirt off road. And then, uh, just to answer, you know, where art's putting me on the spot here a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I'm happy to be on the spot. Uh, you know, it's like, then all of a sudden Porsche comes in and it felt like, Oh, Porsche has got to make a fancy name for it. You're just like hooning around in the dirt. Like why you got to be all special with Safari. <laughs> so that, uh, so I had an immediate reaction to it. Um, but well, you uh, might be right, Lee. I had a poster on my wall in high school. So like 1997, 98, um, it was a Porsche factory poster. Those like those ones where they had like the white border around them, you know, I don't know, 36, I don't know those posters. And it had a long hood 911 with a cow basher on the front. And, uh, I think it might have even said like Safari 911 or something in the. Oh no! Was it but, the one that uh, had the the one that went the full cage over the yeah, top yeah, and, and it had, everything? And it had, yeah, and it had the oh, tires on the, the roof. That's the kangaroo catcher. That's the yeah. Australian car, and that's oh, the yeah. catch kangaroos. I yeah. have that poster somewhere. Um, that's awesome. I don't know where it is though. So so yeah, so you're talking about protection. I mean, these cars require you know they're they're heavy duty basically for long distances on rough roads. So so what it what is I don't know how much you can disclose in terms of detail, but like what is your safari build? What is it? What is it comprised of versus you know just lifting a car and putting some shocks on it? Um, yeah. So I'll just finish up with with, with Brian's. I mean, yeah, I yeah. get that if it has. And off, if it has like off-road tires, suddenly it's a safari. You know, I think right. maybe you're right about the safari name. The safari name has become kind of hyped, you know. Right, lately. right, right, right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, like, okay, Alexis IS 300 safari. Um, you know, we got a Miata safari. Everything's, <laughs> everything's a safari. So the reason I called it safari was because of the history. I love Porsche's history. Um, what they did in the actual safari rally events. Um, my cars, I would say is kind of like a blend of a rally car and a safari car. So it's going to have a little bit higher ride height, um, than a rally car would. And then a little bit more aggressive tread for like dirt and stuff like that than a rally car does. Um, you already saw the front bumper bar come in handy. Um, it comes in handy a lot. You can run into stuff. You can run into trash cans. You can run into all this stuff. So, you know, it's just kind of the concept that I wanted it. It, I wanted it to be able to go through mud and go through creek crossings and stuff like that. Kind of like, you know, what you would kind of see in a safari event. But I also wanted to be able to bomb, um, dirt roads and slide around like what a rally car does. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a blend and it's, I think what's different about my cars than what most people saw in the, in the past was there was like a lot of tribute cars. So you saw a lot of cars that were, um, martini liveried and all that stuff and stickers. They look like race cars. And then you saw real race cars like Tuttle has been building real, you know, mm -hmm. safari race cars forever. They're freaking awesome. Um, but like, 
You know, we have a lot of cars with radios, with you know, full aftermarket air conditions, um, with interior, you know, no stickers. The only livery I did was the Brumos car, and that was actually for Brumos. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like an RS, um, like a GT3 RS is where, you know, GT3 RS is a really good, uh, car for the track. A lot of people think like, oh, it's a race car, but it's, you know, for me, I've been in a lot of race cars. It's a street car. You drive around the, around the street. It's super fun on the street and you can take it to the racetrack. It does really well and it's fun and it's pretty fast. But it's not a race car. So like my safari cars are, it's a street car. You drive around on the street. Uh, it's nice to drive on the street. It's comfortable. If you see a dirt road, you can go bomb the dirt road. You can go up in the mountains. You can go through creek crossings, but it's not a race car. You know, it's a, it's a street car. So you can use it every day. I have some guys that, that daily drive theirs. Um, so I, for the, I, I love, I, I mean, like just an accessible, fun car, like bumping over curbs whenever you want, like a, a car. It's so easy City to build car. cars that you have to worry about and that actually like limit your driving. Like you build a car or two dedicated to the track and all of a sudden you got to worry around every crack in the, in the city. Uh, what I love about these cars and just this style of build, whatever people are doing for the gambler 500 and maybe that's going a little overboard in some cases, but, uh, I have a customer that does that. Worry. Yeah. In man, the I mean, it's Island? all good stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. They were like, that's not $500. <laughs> and he's your, like, I don't care. Your car is almost, it's like the, uh, the choice of tire almost like if you were in San, if you lived in San Diego, that would, it would be like a Baja car. I mean, it's like basically yeah. a pr- Baja pre-run car almost, um, which is rad, you know? Yeah. You could call it, um, well, some people would call it a Baja car. You know, TJ Russell did his Baja car, which is a freaking beast. That thing's like that's so a gnarly. real yeah. Baja that's race. Like a class like, that's one. A, that's a, yeah. yeah, that thing's, but yeah, I mean, um, like you put surf racks on that thing and you could go anywhere on, uh, on the Baja Peninsula and just, you know, basically get there with those tires. Yeah. So I like to say it's a do it all 911. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, that I have that and I was, worried that's kind of like my pride and joy and i was kind of worried i'm a little bit tight when i drive it so i wanted a car and again going back to like growing up on a four-wheeler and bombing dirt roads when i was a teenager i wanted a porsche i could do that with and i got a little cabin up in north carolina so i wanted to take it up there and do all the um you know all the national forest roads up four or five thousand feet there's like literally nobody up there so that's another since, uh, so cool, you know, right. um, getting away from people these days, social distancing is a thing. <laughs> it's a pretty good, uh, social distancing vehicle. And what, we'll feel what, a, one was, more thing on those is that you can't do it with just any car. Like this is unique because the engine is over the drive wheels <clears throat> and that makes a big difference for stuff that's low grip. Like, you need that weight over the drive wheels to be able to get power down, yeah. basically. And, you know, otherwise you're doing front wheel drive or all wheel drive. So it's like the, it's rare to have a rear wheel drive option that's super a dependable chassis, you know, that as you were mentioning before, uh, it's like, uh, these, you know, you can make these things unbreakable. They're known for reliability. And so, I mean, it's like, it, it's a pretty unique spot 
uh, and this is like the right type of build to take advantage of those those attributes kind of. Yeah, so it's the perfect car to do it with. Um, you, there's been like a lot of people that did the Baja cars with the Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind, kind of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, except for 911 better in like every way, but, right. um, but yeah, it's, you don't need four wheel drive. Um, with the rear engine, like you said, over the back axle, there's tons of grip back here. And a lot of guys ask, why don't you do like a 964, uh, C4? But you actually get a lot of understeer in those cars in low grip situations because the nose is so light on a 911. As soon as you put some torque to those tires, they want to, and you're turning with them, they want to spin. As soon as you spin that tire, you're going to lose front grip uh, and you're going to understeer. And I've actually driven Zwart's uh, rally car, that C4 rally car one. that's essentially a C4 lightweight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a really cool car. Um and uh, he's got the adjustable diffs and everything like that. And I did call him before I built my car, and I wanted to do a G-body because it's more simple. The torsion bars torsion make bar it stuff. easier. Yeah, yeah, it's um, ideal. But I called him. I was like, you know, am I missing something here? Should I do a C4 or am I, you know, is G-body the way to go? And he was like, yeah, G-body is the way to go. You, you know, yeah. we're rear wheel drive. So I, I've heard him talk about his uh, C4 and say basically it's like, more compromised, right? It's like, hmm. like it does lose the front end grip and all that. Super stuff. Super interesting. But... I would have never thought that. That's super. Oh, yeah, Lee. Yeah. So, so what? What are the details? I know you have like a. Obviously, you build every car. Like you have your signature things. What are the signature like keen things on each car? I know, like I know, like Pharaoh always complains about his mirrors, right? Like. You, yeah, you got to have the mirrors. You it's want not, the tight yeah, mirrors in the corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are, what are also, the other things? Like, cause in the really, in the really narrow trees, the mirrors come in real handy because if you look at the front of the car, I mean, it, it's a, it's a very narrow yeah. car, but if you, um, you know, if you had the big flag mirrors, first of all, the big flag mirrors are ugly, but if you had those, they would <laughs> they hit are. trees and hit all kinds of stuff. <laughs> First of all, they're so, ugly. All right, I'll go. I'll go with the suspension stuff, and then get into the um, the details with uh, yeah the key signatures because I think Art asked me about suspension. So we all the bushings are like poly bronze bushing, all the torsion bar bushings, all that stuff. We do a hybrid coilover torsion bar rear, and the front's all torsion bar. Uh, the front spindle, so we, we do MCS shocks, which is like a whole front spindle. Um, the pickup points and that stuff's been kind of moved around for the higher ride heights. Uh, there's a bump steer kit, turbo tie rods, you know, things like strut bar, stuff like that. Um, some ball joints, lower ball joints here, some ball joints and, uh, stiffer torsion bars. Um, so there is like a lot of stiffness in the suspension. A lot of people, when they first drive it, they think it's like, um, gonna be like really squishy and kind of plush, but there's actually, uh, it's actually pretty solid and pretty hard. Um, because I like having that support. And if you're, if you're in a corner, sliding through a corner, you need a lot of support. The suspension still leaned over, but you need a lot of support in case you hit a bump. So say you're halfway through a corner and there's another bump. You don't want to be sitting on the bumps. You don't want the back right shock sitting on the bump stop because when you hit that bump, there's nowhere for the shock to go. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, stiffness built in and with the torsion bars, the, 
the spring load is spread, um, you know, through the torsion bar locations on the chassis, which is really nice. Um, and then you have the shock towers that handles the shock load and the rear spring I, I source from Europe is a really long, but very low spring rate spring, um, just to get a little bit more support, mainly kind of for the jumps and some of that stuff with the engine back there, you know, it is hard for, um, you know, you need a little bit of a little bit more support there. Um, and, uh, that's, I mean, we go through the car, through the chassis, non-safari stuff, you know, if brake calipers are sticking on, you know, these, it's crazy. Uh, G body, like say like a mid eighties G body, like 10 years ago was like, somebody tried to sell me one for like 11 grand, you know, like a, a nice car that yeah, had yeah. been well maintained. And I'm like, I should have bought it. I mean, I should, we should, we all should have bought like, you know, 20 of them. But, um, at one point they were pretty cheap. So they got a lot of cheap parts or they didn't get repaired and stuff like that. So we see some crazy stuff with some of these cars because we've seen, you know, nearly 28 cars now. So, <laughs> you know, all the like the old Clifford, uh, alarm systems next to oh, the car. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. From I no actually Man's leave Land, that right? stuff. We get rid of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, no Man's Land was so good watching those cars get <laughs> stolen, basically. Um, but, um, hey. so we go through the cars and just replace like terrible wiring, um, crappy parts, you know, people that stuff people have done five, 10 years ago. Um, so that's part of the treatment too. It has nothing to do with the safari at all. It just has to do about, Going back to making the car, you know, getting quality parts on the car and making it run right and, um, giving it what it, you know, what it needs. Um, and then we do, yeah, the stuff you set, you see. So the front bumper bar, um, you know, is, is Keen Project, uh, signature, I guess you could say is up underneath. It's, you know, extended skid plate up underneath there. Um, we have a rear skid plate option, um, that, uh, we do on some cars. Um, I run SSI heat exchangers. So the, the aluminum, uh, you know, wraps around the exhaust manifold and actually kind of acts as a skid plate in some ways, but the case is still exposed in the center. Um, so it's a good idea for, to do that. Yeah. You got to have the light pod. I have people ask me, I saw a meme. It was like advanced auto and it was like, uh, I need a, I need a, a new headlight bulb. And the guy, the advanced auto computer was like, Oh, what for? And it was like, the guy was like, so I can see at night. It's like a meme floating, <laughs> floating around. So I have people ask me, why so many lights? I'll be at the gas station. They say, why so many lights? And I say, so I can see at night. And they go, they all go, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time. Cool, cool. Especially um, on a rural road where there are no street lights or, or lamps. Right. Yeah, right. no, it's, it's actually amazing. So anybody that's been in, in an old eighties, nine eleven, even with the H four upgrades, you know the headlights are not good. Um, so when you get all those things lit up uh, at night, it's just awesome to be able to see i mean you can see everything it's like being in a modern car with awesome like a modern audi or something you can see everything yeah um so it's it's actually actually really great 
Hey, Lee, uh, while you're uh, kind of dissecting that car, we have a question from our friend Gen, and he says, I bought a 75% finished SCRS Rothmans Rally Tribute car <coughs> and have my mechanic finishing it. Uh, have you seen that car on Instagram, Lee? I've seen, well, yeah, I mean, I've seen a couple of Rothmans kind of SCRS tribute cars. Yeah, it's uh, been around lately. It was I've probably seen it. Um, yeah, I think you, you probably have. Anyways, um, he participated in the last DWA rally and did great. This car currently does the following three things okay. One, tarmac, two, gravel, and three, off-road, but not great. So uh, it's okay, but not great. So since my use of SCRS Tribute is mainly focused on tarmac and secondary gravel, my plan is to lower the height by an inch and a half or two inches and change the tire to a tarmac rally tire from off-road tires. What is your recommendation? Oh, that was a long question. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> kind of depends on where the ride height is now. I don't know how high the car is. It's pretty um, high. You know, you can I'm definitely pull up a picture. E- yeah, I'll, I'll show it in a second. Yeah, show it to me. You can definitely easily put um, too big of a tire and too much ride height on these cars. If you got like a, they said it was a seventy-five, so yeah. it's two point seven. No, no, it's seventy-five percent finished. Oh, I don't know what, what years. years? Uh, well, it even if a it's G a, body, right? yeah. even yeah. if it's a three point two, I mean, you put yeah, a big yeah. enough tire, it's going to bog it down, and. If you get too high, it's going to be a little bit top heavy. That's kind of why, you know, I have that kind of the blend between rally and safari. I have enough ride height to go through creeks and go over what I want, but, you know, low to the ground enough to, um, to, you know, go through corners and still feels good in my opinion. I mean, it's kind of relative. You're, you know, it's a 911 all off-road tires. So what do you compare it to? Yeah. Uh, if you compare it to a Jeep, got, it handles pretty good. <laughs> yeah, um, right. He's got a ton of cars, so it's it's like a toy for him that he's using on these back roads and stuff that it's 75% probably or more is tarmac. You know, he's, he's on back so roads. So one thing I found with the BFG tire, it's like a really popular tire now for these cars, this same size on a 16-inch wheel. Um, uh yeah, it's kind of hard to see, right? It's pretty it looks far like away. He's got bigger. Are those seventeen-inch wheels? It looks like it's got bigger. It tires. might be sixteens. Yeah, so. yeah, they're pretty big, right? They're definitely he's aftermarket. Got, so he's running a lot taller tire than uh, than I do. That looks like twenty-eight or twenty-nine-inch tall tire. Um, uh, art is so. Uh, yeah, a shorter tire, but he could go BFG on a sixteen-inch wheel. That looks like a 17 inch, but it's hard to, it's hard to tell. Downsizing though is the key, right? Cause you're, you're smaller <laughs> wheel, smaller yep. tire. Yeah. And, and also, um, the key for these tires is running a lot of PSI. So what I found hmm. early on was, you know, if you run 30 PSI, um, the sidewall is going to be flexing a lot. Uh, so we run at least 40, uh, we run 40 cold. So when they get warm, yeah. they're going to creep up. Um, and that gives the sidewall uh, a lot of stiffness. And then there's a lot of consistency built into that. You're not having that flex nearly as much. So his ride height 
Um, his ride height doesn't look too crazy. I mean, just going on a shorter tire, you know, the car's going to get lower down. Um, but yeah, I think he'll probably have a little bit more fun with it if it's, uh, yeah, if he goes with a little bit smaller tire. Um, okay. Art, you yeah. drove that car, right? Um, no, I didn't get to drive this one. Oh, I've, driven, okay. I've driven another one. So, um, a, a friend of mine, um, had one, another tribute like this, and it was on 15s with a lot of sidewall. And, um, you know, it, it was very, very floaty and soft. It, it was basically a, 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 a tribute in quotation marks, but, um, just not very well done, you know? So I, I, and also on top of that, it was an SC that had the original SC motor in it with no upgrades. So it was super, super slow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, very squishy, very, very soft, um, a lot of body roll. I wouldn't be surprised if, if it was just raised on the stock torsion bars. I mean, and not, you know, nothing done to correct for roll center and all that. So, uh, but yeah, so unfortunately it wasn't like a really good experience. Um, but yeah, this car, I, I actually was going to drive it on our last rally on the coastal range rally, but you know, and things ended up changing last minute, but, um, that was, hey, that was the plan. Art, get ready to go to Peter B 993 on Instagram. Um, yeah, yeah. I think this uh, is well, who's wait, asking what, this just one more question on the tires. Um, go for so, uh, it feels like, I mean, this is a super aggressive tire that you've got on there. I'm, I'm wondering if, twos, right? if, if you've gone, yes, have you gone through, uh, some, some changes? And uh, to me, it feels like one of these cars with even just like, Oh, BFG radial TA or something would be, uh, a little better for, you know, all around. Um, it, like, it feels like, I don't know, just changing the tire could be a big difference. It feels like. So I, I, I love this tire so much. It seriously does everything I want it to, but I need this aggressive of a tire to do some of the stuff that we do because there's, you know, some pretty good inclines and there's some kinds of rocks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need that grip. We need that tire to be able to cut into the, um, you know, into the surface and, and get the grip lower speed stuff. Um, but I'm also very happy with the grip level and support that it has in, uh, in the higher speed stuff. So one really cool thing is this really sharp, is that is that terrible? It's a little, it's a little hard to see. Uh, yeah, that's actually good. Oh, yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah, that's good. Is that video? Yeah. There's there's a, this really really sharp edge right here for this tire, and rally tires have this too. But if you've ever driven on a real rally tire, like not for road use, um, they're crazy loud, and they're also like extremely heavy. They're way heavier than this tire because um, they're basically like run flats too. But that <clears throat> that sharp edge right there. Um, the, for the rear, the more sideways you get, the more that kind of gets side load and starts cutting into the, into the surface. So you can actually like, in a way, the more sideways you get, the more grip you start coming back. So the grip actually, the grip level will kind of go down, but then the more you slide and I'm talking about like 20, 30 degrees of angle, then the grip level comes back. So it's like almost impossible to spin out. Because the grip just the interesting starts like a shovel starts cutting in sideways. Yeah, and actually you heard it here first. You heard it here first, everybody. Impossible to spin out. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though I have, and I've spun into a, a rock embankment. 
<laughs> it's almost, it's almost uh, impossible. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome, actually, how, how much grip it makes. And, and yeah, I actually love great. the tire. Like, love the tire. And, you know, the tire just came out when I first built my car. It literally just yeah. dropped. It yeah. might be a difference, too. So, like, for Gen and maybe for Peter B., who uh, I think is next question, um, uh, just ra- just that tip about raising the tire pressure might be might be super valuable, right? Yeah. So don't be scared to run 40 PSI or even try more. It's going to give you a lot more consistency and it's going to give you more feel. Um, yeah. Cause you won't get that kind of bouncy, squishy feeling either. Yeah. Cause if you, I mean, going from a regular tire, it's super hard to adjust to this whole new world. Basically going from a regular tire where you're putting like, you know, 33 pounds in, if you do the same thing on a KO two with a big sidewall, you're going to be rolling over like crazy. And that's going to be, feel like trash to drive basically yeah yeah i mean it almost don't matter what your suspension's doing because right it's flexed over like yeah yeah if you right. if anybody's ever had experience so my wife this is my wife's um bug eye right there uh she's got little 15 inch wheels but you know at, she's really in the rally and so we we put real rally tires on that real gravel rally tires on that car and dude, it sounded like a Jeep or like an F two fifty on forty fours or something coming down the road, like wah, wah, wah. I could hear it coming <laughs> in the front yard and I could hear it coming down. <laughs> they're they're really like a real rally tire is extremely heavy, but it's also yeah. extremely stiff. You can I can you can stand on the tire with no wheel. Like if it's just the tire, you can literally wow, just wow. stand on the top of the tire yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But it's crazy it's crazy stiff. Durable, yeah. You, you don't have that. Um, yeah, you don't have. It's crazy durable for sure, but you also don't have that flex, that sidewall flex rollover when you're, you know, cutting through a corner, going through a corner, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. So it's uh, really important to you want that stability, basically. Uh, let's see here. So Peter B, um, I don't know if you've seen this car. It's this yeah, nine three so far. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. And he's done it basically on his own. He's just kind of tinkered. And I think he built the rear skid plate by himself and just yeah, kind, of, kind of making it happen. Um, he's been on a couple rallies and he's a, an awesome guy, but he's asking how much left foot braking are you doing in the dirt in corners in your Safari 911s or is it more lift off oversteer? Yeah. So lift off oversteer, you know, a lot. If I don't have to hit the brakes, then essentially it's just going to be lift off oversteer. Um, I talked about that spring in the rear for extra support. You know, my cars are not built to win a rally stage or even ran a rally cross or anything like that. They're basically built to have fun with and slide around. So there's a lot of, there's nothing I hate more than understeer. So there's a lot of oversteer built into the cars. Um, we do break, if the owner or the customer has racing experience or something like that we do uh, a brake bias uh, brake bias knob inside the cockpit so my car um, has a brake bias knob so i can actually adjust to the rear and the way it's a ap knob and the way it works is it connects to the front calipers and you essentially take pressure away from the front and that essentially makes it you know more rear biased mm. so you so a lot of guys they, they have those uh, handbrake deals or whatever. And that works good in all wheel drive car. And, um, 
and, you know, a rear-wheel drive car, a drift car, you know. But in a 911 with all the weight in the rear um, and all the grip there is back there, when you lock down the rear, it actually just digs the tire into the surface. And it kind of almost acts as an anchor. So it kills like a ton of speed. Um, and it just really doesn't work that great. Like unless it's like you're in the snow or it's like really, really low speed stuff, it really doesn't work that good to kind of rotate the car. The, you you got to have weight on the nose in a 911 to turn because there's no, no weight up there. Right. So what I do with the brake bias is I basically dial it in like a little bit too much to the rear. Um, so the first thing that's going to lock up is going to be the rear. And that way yeah, I'm on the brakes and say, I'm like, I'm, I'm right on the limit of, uh, you know, locking the rear and I got a bunch of weight on the nose. I'm starting to turn in. If I want a little bit of rotation, you know, I can add a little bit more steering, but I can also add a little bit more brake. It'll transfer a little bit more weight to the front end, but also it'll lock that rear tire just a little bit. It won't stop it and drag it, but it'll just lock that tire just a little bit. And it's nice. like, is just so easy. I mean, when you get that, awesome. that spot right there, cause you have all the weight on the nose, but you are kind of sacrificing a little bit of rear grip. You're giving up a little bit of rear grip too. So it's like, it's pretty sweet setup. So yeah, that's cool. That's, cool. that's what, that's what we do. Um, Paul Kramer, auto kennel had another question for you. He says, how does the turbo safari really drive? Looks like on the dirt, it's a handful. And I think it also worth mentioning that he starts by saying, uh, that you are his spirit animal. Lee. <laughs> Appreciate that. Hey, damn. I know, I know him. <laughs> yeah. The turbo is, uh, so I talked about these cars on the, on the street, you know, how fun they are around bombing around town and stuff like that. The turbo is so ridiculously fun around town on the street because you have all this power. Um, it's just, and like you got the turbo noises and it looks really cool because it's wider body and all that stuff. So, but on the, that wider, we're talking about the 73 RSR and 74 RSR earlier, you know, they went wider and made a lot more grip. The turbo chassis in this, because it's exactly the same size tire, it's just a different wheel. It makes like a lot more grip in the rear. And then of course you have a ton of more power. So you're dealing with more power and more grip. Um, so yeah, it is more difficult to drive. There's two cars out there so that I've done that are turbos. Um, Safari number 13 is the first one. And is that the green one? That's uh, no green one's number 19. The second one I did. The, it was that loof cult. Uh, the blue one is blue. It's mice and blue. It's like a grayish blue color. It's got the turbo graphic. Um, it was at the, uh, Hollywood. Yeah. I remember the car. Yeah. So, so are those, uh, 80, are those later, late model ones with five speeds or four speed cars? They're four speeds. Yeah. The only okay. five speed was 89. So yeah. those are four speeds. And like literally with a taller tire, first gear goes to almost 60 miles an hour and second gear goes to like nearly a hundred. So you basically, well, most of the slower speed stuff are pretty much all, it's all first gear. Most of the slower speed stuff because you know, you're not going much faster than 60 miles an hour on these little tight, um, roads, dirt, like, you know, national forest roads and stuff. 
Um, so it kind of works pretty good. Plus, you know, the, the three liters and three twos have enough power to have fun. So when you have, even if the, it's a turbo car and it's full and you still have plenty of power to, you know, break loose and have fun. Um, but they do have a lot more grip and yeah, they could be, they could be considered a handful, but the <laughs> owner uh, of number 13 was just out on, uh, the salt flats where they do like the, the, uh, the top speed races or whatever. And he was just doing these like huge, big drifts and like, that's awesome. So fun. Having a blast. He drove the car three hours there, was out there for like a couple of hours, just doing these huge donuts and huge drifts and then drove home. So, so Dude, Matt Farah, Matt Farah has been saying a lot of good things about his car. Yeah. Yeah. Farah has been out to those a couple of times too. Yeah. And Farah drove my car for a, a tuned uh, drive video uh, I think in 16 or whatever. And, um, yeah, he basically was like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get one of these. Things. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, just holler. And he's like, Oh, you know, when I'm ready, I'll let you know. And I think like six months, he sent me a deposit six months later and he was. And yours is a, yours is a three liter, right? An SC. Yeah. Mine's an yeah. 81. It's got cams and, uh, you know, it's had, you know, um, the heads, you know, valve job and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, it's, we do an exhaust, you know, an older style exhaust, but the cars are very simple. Um, you know, still CIS, you know, three twos, Matronic, all that stuff, like very, you know, a lot of stock parts, but new stock parts or stuff that needs to be, you know, on it to make it run right. Yeah. yeah. Just keep it reliable. Right. Just, just oh, and, and then yeah. back to my question about the, uh, your signatures. So do you, I know there's things you require your customers. Like you have to do this. You have to do that is a funky interior part of that. I mean, I know. And you have a, you have, what's his name? Uh, the German guy down in Florida do all the interiors, right? Um, no. Oh, Stefan from Stephon, GTS. Yeah. So he yeah. does a lot of the, uh, a lot of the seats. So these okay. are, those, these are his seats. Um, gotcha. I have an upholster guy in Atlanta that oh, does, okay. Uh, actually lately does most of the stuff, but I'm still get seats from, um, so like, you know, for this, Stefan did, well, I found this material in Atlanta. So I sent him the material and he built these seats and this leather is actually Navy blue, but you probably, probably can't Uh, tell. It's actually like a little bit of a blue stitch. Um, and then my interior guy, I mean, door panels and lower dash is pretty easy, you know, for yeah. a, a, a decent upholster guy. But um, we redo a lot of uh, factory seats. And then there's a Recaro that's kind of nice that we redo as well. Oh, okay. That's all done. But is it nice. required to have like a kind of a crazy kind of over the top, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Or, you know, playful or whatever you would call it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, like fun. I would yeah, say yeah. like fun is the is the, the right word. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and you and it has to be the door panel, and it has to be the dash, and it has to be the seats, and it can't be like the headliner, and it can't be like other stuff too. Basically, that's like that's it. Because a lot of you know a lot of guys they want and there's no I don't do any stitching like no like white stitching or like you know none like this crazy blue stitching or anything like that the porsche would call it deviated stitching right deviated stitching (laughs) which my my rs has that i love so but i don't do no alcantara so the cars have to be like kind of period um correct in a way and there's a couple of cars with carbon roofs that we've done 
but they're painted, you know, so you can't tell. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the switches for the fog lights are just old, simple switches. So most everything is, you know, well, everything you see is period correct. You're not going to see any modern stuff on the car. So that's, kind that's of cool. as if, yeah, the car was built at that time. I want the, yeah, I mean, I really want the cars to be, um like timeless in a way and and age you know well or whatever yeah. so um there's some there's some other cool cars in your garage here if we could do a quick walkthrough here as kind of a wrap-up um that rally bug eye uh what, what's the story behind that thing is that is that a real ra race car did you no, make it or that's a gc8 isn't it or is that a bug eye it's a bug eye oh yeah gosh that thing has just been tempting in the corner right there that is so legit yeah, so that's uh, so my wife's bug guy. I've had a couple of STIs, um, but yeah, this is a ProDrive built. Um, it's a it's a ProDrive S8 is technically what it is. Uh, it raced in two thousand two. Um, it was driven by Mackinnon and oh, no way, WRC Corsica, and so that's it. Uh -huh. um, and Corsica in two thousand two, right there. And um, and it was driven by Solberg and Rally New Zealand in 2002. So, yeah. so they used it twice. Um, but yeah, it's a real. They made eight in uh, 2002, so it's a real WRC car. Um, I can't even believe that you know still it's sitting right here. But, <laughs> no uh, kidding. But yeah, through my racing connections and everything, um, I met some. Uh, some guys that were in the rally world as well. And I got connected with, um, with, uh, a guy that, um, over in Europe that, that kind of specialized, he, he, uh, restored McRae's 95 championship car. Um, so I got connected with him through some other guys I knew and, uh, the car was up in Ireland. Um, it was a gentleman, older guy that had rallied it, club rallied it for 10 years and was ready to, um, sell it so like a wrc car will be competitive if you're i mean good in rallying will be competitive in club level for like 10 or 15 years because they're kind of so advanced um but yeah so that's got the crazy uh crazy gearbox and everything probably right and yeah yeah i mean all you know the adjustable uh, differentials, center, rear, front, individually controlled center, XL and decel, e-brake and the paddle, um, you know, the screen for the co-driver, horn button and stuff like that. Uh, I think there's 120 feet of uh, tubing, um, roll bar tubing. Such um, a rad cage. Oh geez, there's part of it right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. A lot of magnesium stuff, intake manifolds, uh, magnesium. These wheels are magnesium. Um, crazy subframes. I don't know if you can tell the see the arms and skip plates and carbon Kevlar and that's wow. so cool. Water water cooled wow. brake calipers and Whoa. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's kind of like a, a a big remote control car when you drive it. A lot of people ask, like, what's it like to drive? It doesn't drive like a Subaru at all. If you think uh, about like a remote control, a four-wheel drive remote control car that just has like a ton of torque, 
So you just kind of like goose it and turn it and do donuts or whatever. It's like it's like you're inside of a big remote control. Oh, uh, sounds insane. Do you yeah. do you get out in it every once in a while or is it? Yeah, I've driven it um, once in a parking lot. Well, I've driven it. I used to have a warehouse. I used to take it out um, around the warehouse a little bit. <laughs> Do some stages around, some laps around the warehouse. <laughs> stages Sometimes at night. Uh, but I, I got to drive it like really um, good uh, in a big parking lot, you know, just big drifts and stuff like that. Um, so I plan to, uh, yeah, I plan to do stuff with it in the future. I'm hoping rally comes, gets bigger or, you know, historic rally. I think guys like us, we, you know, that stuff is really cool, I guess. So. Hopefully it gets bigger. Which this begs the question, and I can't believe this didn't occur to any of us earlier, but I mean, what, at what point are you driving club rallies? Like, uh, not WRC, but I mean, you're building these cars for all this sliding around stuff. You've got all this experience at the t- highest levels, basically, of, uh, club route, ra- uh, club racing and everything and professional racing and, but it seems like everything would be leading to you doing, uh, the, the rally circuit in, in North America. Um, yeah, I mean, it's dangerous. <laughs> you know, I've been, yeah. I've been around racing for a bunch and, you know, I've seen some bad stuff happen just in motor in like road racing stuff. I'm a little bit older. I'm not as crazy as I used to be. Um, we do some fun stuff with the safaris on roads and stuff. I, I think I would love to build like a monster rear wheel drive G body race car, you know, with like a really hot motor and some really cool suspension stuff. But, you know, it's really also, that would be like really, really expensive. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah, I want to do, I, I don't, I'll probably never risk, um, you know, the WRC car because yeah. it's too historic. You know, it's yeah. half investment half you know because i really really want it this yeah. is my so that that the number five car right there is is a car i built a tamiya that i built in uh in high school which is the same oh how cool <laughs> and then that's actually my car right there the wow that's a wrc number 10 <laughs> that's um, so cool so to me to me actually uh made the model of my exact chassis and i bought that at the tamiya flagship store in tokyo so i was like i mean i'm like pretty fanboy about that <laughs> yeah for sure we don't i mean it's totally understandable so Dude, we're uh imagine, y'all go ahead one i was just gonna say imagine buying that and telling the cashier like now i have this car <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah yeah whatever whatever <laughs> you'll have it after you buy it sir yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty it's it's pretty cool so my well, wife and i are into subarus a lot um so in, okay, so yeah, I always say round headlights and flat engines, then it's okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that that's, all that's ties a good together. Model. Yeah. So, what's your wife's car all about? It's a it's a bug eye as well. I see. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she actually asked her dad when she was sixteen uh, if if he would get her a, uh, a WRX, O three WRX, and he said no. Um, but he did get her a uh, SER Sentra Spec V six speed. Oh, sweet! Yeah, yeah. So, which is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> so she, this is like one of her dream cars. Um, so it's an O three. Um, you know, it's got a STI engine two five. It made three forty at the wheels on a Mustang Dyno um, STI interior 
JDM stuff. And nice. it's kind of like the, uh, the European, um, headlights and, you know, so it's got the fogs and it's kind of 15 inch wheels and, you know, rallied up like that. Um, it's a really cool car. It was, a she's the second owner of it and it was like a garage kept all its life car. So, I mean, bug eyes, like so many bug eyes got trashed. You They're know? tattered. You kind of can't find a nice one, basically. Man, it's like impossible. White's so a good one, color too. Great yeah. Color. Yeah. White, um, original paint, you know, two owner car. So yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, obviously a, a special car for, for us. Um, and it's been a really good car, like just been a great car. Cranks up, feels really good, you know, to drive and all that stuff. So awesome. Sweet, dude. So, so thanks for showing us around. I mean, there's that G Wagon back there. I just want to say, uh, real quick, uh, we are winding down. I don't know if you have oh, like, I one got, last I got question. One more, qu- one more question. Right, we'll one more we'll question. squeeze in Brian's question. All right. Uh, so, so you, buy, you buy a, <laughs> a Keen Project 911 and you're part of an exclusive club of Keen Project owners. And you get to do these events that you'll put on every once in a while, which is like a friendly version of a stage rally, I would imagine. But is there anything, anything noteworthy about like, you know, these events that, that you put on? And, uh, it just sounds like the best time ever, basically from the pictures I've seen. Yeah. So I, one thing I've learned from racing and around cars and experience and everything is I've learned how to have a good time. (laughs) So, um, These guys, uh, they get the cars, whatever. I have a big group chat. Um, everybody's in the group chat. Everybody talks, you know, people talk about what they did with the car and stuff like that. I got a customer right now driving from Chicago to, um, Half Moon Bay and his car. He's out in the no desert way. right now. Yeah. Half Moon Bay and picking all the dirt options along the way, I'm sure, which is like, that's how fun yeah, is that? Yeah, he's in a picture. How fun is that? Yeah, he sent a picture of this dirt, two-lane dirt road. Literally, you know, you've seen the in the desert, it's like a two-lane paved road. It's just straight forever. It's like that, but it's like dirt. So, yeah, um, <laughs> he's, you know, having fun. I've had customers, well, uh, Safari number four, Mike, he drove from New York to L.A. for Lufkult. Um, and then I think he drove back, too. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, we do these events. Uh, they're, like, everybody comes go in the mountain at night, you know, we just have beers in the parking lot after we're done and go out and dinner, you know, big group dinner and everybody just, and everybody's like, they're all different. Everybody's different, but everybody wants a lifted up Porsche 911 on off road tires. So we all have that, like something a little bit weird, I guess. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, And, you know, we had a guy, you know, go off a cliff and we had two cayennes and we pulled him out and um you know his fender was all dented in and he hopped in and dropped the clutch in florida and you know we were yes. back on it and everything and so yeah it's uh it's yes yeah, i don't know it's pretty cool we have i think uh king project cars at this point have traveled well i know they've traveled over all in all over a hundred thousand miles you know logged on on pave on, on dirt and pavement from king project builds um and uh yeah we just you know, have try to have a have a good time and, and enjoy the cars and we kind of look at them as a wear item in a way you know drive them and most everybody plans to keep theirs forever and um or give them to their kids or whatever and 
or flip them on bring a trailer or I'm just <laughs> yeah have you have you had any go go for sale yet go on sale yes yeah, so, yeah so we had one so one guy uh the guy that bought number three um he actually bought it to daily drive it so after he got it and on the radwood side this guy would be i mean he he's got a Lance TO37, uh, Stratus, Delta, Zanardi and SX, Ferraris, two Diablos, two Countaches, 993RS. <laughs> like Damn. he's got all this like, crazy rad 70s and 80s and some 90s stuff. I think his newest car is probably that NSX. Um, and he told me, he was like, yeah, I need a daily driver for New Orleans, like a Bourbon Street area, downtown New Orleans. Uh, and he does, he's not interested in like, he wasn't interested in like, you know, driving a Mercedes or, you know, BMW or anything or an SUV. Like it just, you know, so he drove, he daily drove his car, but he, he had two kids um, and he didn't drive it nearly as much. And he was like, you know, I bought a daily drive. I got two kids now. I can't really put them in, throw them in there. You know, he's got babies. Uh, so he's like, I don't drive it. So it's time, time for it to go. So that car just got, uh, relocated to its new owner down in Puerto Rico, um, which oh, is a cool. really, really great group, group of, uh, guys down there. Um, so yeah, that's the only one. And have you been helping like, so for, with that sale, did he reach out to you and you kind of like, you kind of facilitated a little bit. I know like Rod Emery kind of does that with his cars. Like, you know, they're kind of like, they're, you know, they're kind of passed along. There's always a waiting list. I know you have a huge waiting list. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he reached out to me. I think everybody, um, you know, that would has a car if they were wanting to sell it would just kind of reach out to me. And cause I have a lot of people that were like, they don't want to wait, but you know, the, every, the car is built pretty much exactly how the customer wants. I mean, you know, I don't know how many people want dog interior in their Porsche 911. Um, <laughs> I think it's awesome, but you know, there's plenty of people that would be like, well, I don't know about the dog interior. <laughs> um, so it's really cool when they build a car, um, you know, it's very much theirs, um, kind of like how Singer does or whatever. So, um, reselling the car, you know, I would say if you want a car, probably, you probably really shouldn't plan on selling it. It's kind of built for you and, um, you know, you should pr- basically just use it, <laughs> just use it until, you know, it's, it's gone basically. The end of time. Yeah. And then okay. you're, you're servicing them and all that stuff too. Right. So like if some guy, like he wants upgraded suspension or something like that, you're the guy you're, they're going back to you and, and kind of, yeah. Like so I just caretaker. came out, I just developed a new uh, suspension shock package with MCS, which is the whole front spindle and shocks, of course, adjustable shocks. And it's not like I try to keep the prices reasonable. Like some rally safari shocks are like 15, 20 grand. Like that's just like unnecessary to put like that, to spend that much money on. Like if you don't, I mean, that's just like a lot, you know, these, some of these builds, not my builds, but like, you know, not even safari, just Porsche builds. It's just like can get really expensive. I mean, you're talking about multiple hundreds of thousand dollars and then, and then you're scared to do something with it. So, but we did develop some new shocks that are a nice little upgrade um, with MCS that work really well, um, but not crazy, you know, expensive. 
Um, and we've upgraded a lot of the previous cars that didn't have those. And then I have a couple of options like the rear skid plate, uh, just roof rack. And, um, I don't know, just a couple of little things, but you know, what you see when you look at the cars, if you look at different ones, they all have, you know, light pod, front bumper bars, mud flaps. They're all this pretty much essentially the same, you know, architecture, just different colors and materials. That's huge, man. Thank, thanks so much for going so in depth. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that that's the most, uh, comprehensive review of a Safari 911 from a keen, at least a keen project one, which I love. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm proud to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a ton, dude. I mean, that's really cool. Thanks so much for, for jumping on board here. Um, we are going to just wrap up, uh, but yeah, are there places, uh, that you wanted to plug here where people can find out more about your cars, more about you, anything else you're working on that you want to plug? Um, yeah, I mean, my Instagram, so like it's Lehman K, L-E-H-M-A-N-K. Um, that's pretty much like if you want to get in top contact with me, you can kind of DM me on there about a build. I don't really have email out there floating around or anything like that as far as to get in contact. But just, yeah, um, you can message me there if you like the cars. I, I am going to come out with, uh, you know, another fun little concept, uh, 9-11 build is a little bit different uh than safari Ooh. at some point the key project has you know planned something up maybe this year maybe next year i'm not sure um and uh going back to his roots 993 that's pretty much <laughs> it. Now, i did have a customer that wanted to do like a, a beach buggy 993 targa like mm. you know mint green or something like tiffany blue or something like that that was kind of cool huh. um but the G body is just such a great car. I mean, you saw what happened in the nine, six fours, you know, I guess you got to blame singer um, because they've taken probably over 200 cars, you know, out of the market to, to build those. Um, but the G body, they made them for so long. They're simple and they're pretty easily easy to get um, compared to nine, nine threes and nine, nine, six fours. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks That's so it. much. Yeah, that was great, super fun to hear about. Yeah, great talking. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys. It was fun. All right. Appreciate That's it. it. Oh, and then uh, are you still doing the uh, the show on the – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, what's it called, though? Uh, Proving yeah. Grounds. Proving Grounds. <laughs> Drag. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah. So, Proving Grounds on NBC Sports. Um, we, we'll, like, so, there's Drive, the same producer, kind of JF. It's from streaming on uh, YouTube right now. A bunch of yeah. The, the season one and season two are on YouTube. We have the Rad um, episode with the R32, um, the old Trans Am, uh, the DeLorean, yep. uh, and then the 787 uh, Mazda Group C race car, which was insane. Um, and then we've luckily we were able to film uh before the craziness hit uh so then season three is is pretty much filmed and uh will be coming out on nbc sports this fall Um, oh great yeah yeah so check that out it's pretty cool it's pretty loose sam smith and parker kliegelman parker you know nascar world sam road and track world editor um both really knowledgeable really great guys so yeah it's it's fun. We have a good time. We had some. We have some pretty yeah. interesting cars for season three. Sweet. So, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And 
Thanks a ton. And uh, yeah, right. we'll, definitely, uh, we'll, we'll have to do this another time, hopefully from your compound and the passenger oh, yeah. seat, maybe even the driver's seat on, on one of these <laughs> on little off-road courses you have. Yeah, yeah. 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 they're a good time. Yep. Sounds good. Awesome, man. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a ton, man. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Peace. Bye. Have fun. Yeah. See you.